Hey everyone, Bees with Ben here. I am super, super excited. I am with a good friend of mine. Uh, and he lives out in Gippsland. And his name is Neil Stuckey. Now, Neil Stuckey, as I said, a good friend. I've known him for a long, long time now. And believe it or not, that's right, Neil Stuckey. Stuckey is his surname. Thanks for, uh, for joining us. And we're actually on site. At the moment, so out at Neil's place, out in Flins Creek, little beautiful part of the world, out in Gippsland. And thanks, Neil, for coming on board. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, I just I've got to do a talk about apparently about me. So I'll tell you a bit about my history and my story where I've been. I'm early sixties now, and I started keeping bees when I was uh, at state school. Basically, um, my brother and myself we were we were brought up at Flynn on the highway in the Red Gum Country, and two old blokes about my age had. Bees used to put on the property, the farm property, and as kids, curious kids, we went over and started to see what they were doing and how they did it. And my brother was a bit older than me, and eventually these we helped them nearly every year. They came there every year, and we helped them spin, extract, and rob. And we had homemade veils, homemade smokers. Um, we did it really hard. We used to use the large beer cans you used to get, the big beer cans. We used to make a smoker out of that, and every year to eat its way through, the heat would eat the metal away, and we'd put another beer can in there and just keep doing it. And eventually these guys, they, they gave us a hive and we used to extract on the slow combustion stove in mum's kitchen. And I remember we used to take honey to state school and sell it to the teachers. And we used to walk down the road and sell it, put in coffee jars and sell it to our neighbours. And then I, eventually I brother sort of dropped off a bit and I kept going. I got a few hives and a few more and got more honey and used to wash more jars and sell more honey and I started selling to shops and I got a, a, a ordinary label, a conventional label and started selling shops and and as years by way I did my apprenticeship at the SEC and I was still playing with bees and not many people were at that stage, not like it is today, has gone crazy today, it's a massive growing industry and I realised that different flavours was the way to go so I started buying, I bought it off, I used to buy a lot of honey off an old bloke and um, he was actually dropping off and I met another guy one time and he had a lot of hives and I buy a lot of honey off him still to this today and that's going back a long time ago. We've probably been dealing with each other for 20 years. He actually dropped off six pelicons here yesterday and we do a deal where I pay him all through the year and he has income through the winter and during the, when the summer comes he just drops off a lot of honey here and I, I have... A lot of big bill, so it just works out works out through the year, the year, and we just sort it out and write it all up and works well. And up, to, I have it up to, up to twenty different flavors at any one time. I usually run about twelve. Um, once the season comes in March, that's when the maximum amount of flavors I have. I actually get honey over from Tasmania. I do a lot of honeycomb myself, and I do a lot of splits uh, early in the season. Um, I do a bit of pollination. But I find most of my business is um, in shops. Um, I can move between one and two tonne of honey a week. I've just built a 160 metre square packing room, um, all sandwich board. And I've, I'm going to put down, I haven't finished it yet, but I'm about to finish it. I'm going to put down a, uh, a, a concrete texture on the floor, look like concrete, um, two pack floor. And I've just, the big one I've done, I've always wanted to do me, all my life was generate my own power. And I've just put up two wind generators, 1,700-watt wind generators. They're on an 80-foot-high tower, so it's a massive tower. It's an old uh, APM spotter tower. It's a four-and-a-half-ton steel structure with uh, 
a lot of concrete holding it up. And I've also got uh, uh, solar panels. I've got uh, 10 kilowatts of solar panel goes in the grid. And I've just put in a four and a half kilowatt another system as well, which is going to go into heating honey. The, one of the biggest costs I find is, is heating honey. It's got to heat a cabinet up to 55 degrees. And it takes a lot of energy, especially this time of year in the winter. It's really hard work. During the summer, I've got thermal panels that heat, the sun heats them in the tubular panels. I've got four big ones of those with 300 litre uh, storage tanks. So during the summer, honey's, heating the honey is not a problem. And most of your honey comes in, it's, it's usually running in, in the summer months anyway when it comes in. I do a raw honey as well. I sell a raw honey. I sell a lot of 15 kilo buckets to other packers and restaurants and different places. So that's a big part of my business as well. Um, I don't, I've got, I run over 100 hives. I mostly don't, I don't go a lot of distance. Most of my time is consumed by the packing or delivering. Like before a long weekend or Easter, I'll be on the, on the road three days before that used to make sure every shop, all my shops have got honey before, before the long weekend because I do a lot of tourist places and things get really busy on long weekends. I range from Bensdale through to Bacchus Marsh. I do a delivery at the moment. I've got a big high ace van. I fill it up pretty much to the brim. I've done that every two weeks to Melbourne at the moment and all the way down the line from here to Melbourne. Um, Flynn's located 160 k's east of Melbourne and, and nearly, I've been doing it a long time, so my name's really well known. And as it happens, my name's last surname's Stucky, and my pa- packing name is Sticky Stucky's Honey, which works really well. I love that. That's funny. <laughs> For everyone, that's fair income. So, so Neil's surname is Stucky, and it's like he was um, you know, born born to be a beekeeper. So, and, and so, talk about the name. So, Stucky is that a is that an old English name? Yeah, it's a Welsh name. Welsh, Welsh. Yeah, so it's English based. Yeah. Um, what happened was I, I I I did my apprenticeship as a fitter and turner, and I worked at the SSC. I did my apprenticeship at SSC for four years, and I actually as soon as there I left went out with contractors and I worked um, in power stations offshore, and I've got a pretty broad background. I actually my very first job was a draftsman. I, I did a two year start off as a, a draftsman two years and I've built all my own sheds, all my own structures. Um, I've put up towers, I've done all the wind generators myself and it's really handy that I, I, I just, I'm hands on with a lot of things and same with bee boxes, I, I do all my own bee boxes, oh, well, I say I do them all, I have made a lot of bee boxes, I make my own lids, I've got guillotines for the sheet metal, uh, I've got all the woodworking gear you'd ever want, thicknesses, planers, um, uh, all that sort of thing and I just... I find as you get bigger, your, your time time's a big killer because that just consumes my life. I'm basically seven days a week and it's just hard to get away from. Bees tie you down a lot. They're in they're sort of, during the winter, they're a bit quiet. But my biggest biggest business is in, in the winter months when honey sales probably go up threefold because honey is a winter product. And I just find that during the, when the back's off a bit during the summer months, then I can work the bees. So it sort of works in together as a, as the honey demand drops off a bit. So yeah, I met up with Ben. It was quite ironic how I met Ben. I I was playing. I play a lot of eight ball, and I was actually playing eight ball. And the, there's a, sto- a doco come up about bees, and I looked at oh, there's this guy on the on the thing, and I couldn't hear a lot because a lot of background noise. I'm looking. I'm trying to watch it while I'm playing pool, and. We wouldn't be the freaky how freaky it was. The very next day, he rang me up and he said he wanted to have a yak. And I said, oh, okay. So I actually met him down at down in Melbourne where he worked in a reptile shop, snake and reptile shop, fish shop. And 
And I said to him, I said, you've got just too much happening. I said, you've got to give this away. I said, you've got to go full-time with this and get going. And it was 12 months later, I needled him and needled him, and sure enough, he went full-time at it. And now the guy's a celebrity now. He's all <laughs> over the world and talks international feats and everything else. And here we are now talking on an iPod, and he set up this gear for doing iPods. So <laughs> it's pretty amazing how you beat people and you, and you bump into people with the same same uh, ideas and, and, and hobbies in life. So beekeeping's a... It's got a really big phenomenal of last five years. I, when we were kids, sort of every second farm would probably have a beehive in his backyard and got his own honey, and that sort of dropped off a lot. But now backyard beekeeping is just phenomenal. I've never seen like it. I, I talk to a group. I do a lot of talks at different clubs and groups. And the very last one I did was 50 beekeepers at Moe, Moe Beekeeping Group. And they were just all pumped up and going, and it's just the amount of groups and clubs have got together now to make this happen is incredible. So beekeeping's on the up, up and up. Um, statistically, two years ago, New Zealand had more hives than Australia, which blew me away because New Zealand's not a big area like Australia is. But now it just seems to be that it's the backyard and also the smaller. Once you start off with one, it's a disease. You you grow up, you end up three, four, five, and up to ten, and then you've got a problem with how to get rid of your honey. So it's, a, it's definitely a, a disease you get and it's a hobby you grows on you and you either love it or you hate it. And I just find so many people now getting into it. So I do a lot of splits early in the year and I'm finding that's just growing all the time now. The amount of people that I've helped over the years, I've helped a lot of people get into it and now I just find it's just a massive growth curve now that's really happening. It's a good thing and a bad thing both, as in everyone wants to save the bees but if you have too many European bees, it's the native birds suffer and the native bees suffer because of the amount of nectar. If you're really genuine about uh, saving the planet, we should be planting more trees, which helps everything all around. So both the professional beekeeper and the amateur beekeeper and also the wildlife as well. So I, I totally agree there, Neil. You know, having that balance because you know if we go too top heavy, too many people keeping bees, obviously you know they can starve and so forth but but just going back a step what i love and i see you as a, a mentor to myself because what i love what you do is you do everything yourself and even on a sustainable side of things you know putting up the wind generators got solar power to help warm up the honey you know not many people do that so i really really like that every step neil does when it comes along beekeeping absolutely i, I admire that so it's really really good to see and so when it comes to the uh, when it comes to honey, uh, you mentioned sort of you sell twelve different types of honey. But is there any one particular flavour that you find that sells more? Like, is it, when we start looking at demographics, you know, do more old people prefer one type of honey than another? Um, you know, this whole manuka sort of madness that's going on. What, what's what's all your thoughts on you know honey to the consumer? Well, as things have changed over the years since I've started doing this, like uh, trees. Uh, over time, whether it's environmental or whether it's the climate change, whatever it may be, but yellow box has always been the predominant honey of choice. And mainly, what what happens is with people, people don't realise this. They probably don't even think of this. But what you're brought up with is what you usually have for life, and that's mainly in food and even character and habits that you form as a child. You they stay with you. And what I find is yellow box is is a predominant tree it, it, it goes from right from southern victoria right up to queensland and there's, there's up to four different species that are still classed as yellow box even though they might not be true yellow box so what what you found is what you grow up with is what you and yellow box is a it flowers for a long time it flowers for probably longest of the eucalypts and also produces uh, it's a high producer 
So therefore, you've got a lot of yellow box on the market. And anyone around my age have been brought up with it. That's what they want. Hell or bent, they just want yellow box. And a lot of them won't even try anything else, which is really sad. But the yellow box is, even now, this season now, it's flowering in the winter in a lot of areas. And bees can't work, can't source it in the winter because it's too cold. And what happens is it burns out and there's nothing this year. There might be nothing this year. It's hard to tell. But different areas produce different times and different different structures and different formats. But... Every year, going years gone by, you could get yellow box every year regardless. And now it's hit and miss. It's the same with the leatherwood I used to get from Tasmania. It's become hit and miss. Um, I've been brought up with red gum because I'm, I'm in a red gum area and I, I, I've i got a soft spot for red gum. Um, spotted gum's another nice honey. I, I, I don't think there's a bad tasting eucalyptus you can actually get. We're blessed in this country that we have got such a big variety of, of eucalyptus, which is virtually nowhere else in the world unless it's been planted in plantations. I, I actually uh, I had a little giggle a while back, the big fires in Europe, um, they plant a lot of pines and eucalyptus and they had massive fires and it's a eucalyptus that designed to burn, that's part of their structure and they had massive fires in Europe where they couldn't control them because they're just not used to big fires and, and their forests are mostly deciduous and they're evergreens and they don't normally burn like the eucalyptus do and I just thought, wow, they've got our problems now, they've, they've put their trees over there and they're... And they're they're just catching a light and burning out big time. So, yeah, um, I, there's different flavours. Like, I, I have a lot of blackberry comes through here. It's a nice... It, it, and people, you say, what is it, what is it? And you say, you've got to say, oh, it's blackberry, and they taste it. It's the same, much the same with orange blossom. It's got a citrusy sort of a taste. Most people can identify that one. But every honey's got a different characteristic, a different uh, chemical structure, a different way it candies, a different way it reacts to heat. Um, and you've just got to, over, over time, you learn the structures of different honeys and how they react and what to do with them. Um, the main thing I do is I don't overheat my honey. I always go on the lean side rather than the over, over the top side. If you put too much heat in your honey, do you destroy the characteristic of it, the flavour of it, and you kill the, the essence of what honey's all about. But then if you don't put enough heat into it, it goes candy in the shops, and then I bring a lot back. But I find, I find I've got it down to a fine art now. I've just worked out how to do it. And if even just the educating people, I, I did lie in the park for, for nearly 15 years, just trying to educate people and talk to people about the honeys. And the big thing that is really starting to come through now is, is to buy Australian honeys and buy from a, a local grower. Um, so a lot of supermarket honeys, unfortunately, are distorted and they're imported and they're mixed. Um, some of your major packers in this country have got a question mark over them. I can't go there saying what I'd like to say about them. Um, a lot of Chinese honey coming to Australia. Uh, it's adulterated honey is a big problem, um, and it's just sad what's really happened. That in two thousand four, when we started importing honey, the first time in Australian history, I think our, our industry went backwards from then on. It's just been distorted, and, and money's in sometimes can be even in the wrong hands, and it's just it's changed things what we what we knew before two thousand four. Yes, yeah, no, I I totally agree. And what what I one thing I love, and we're doing this podcast in one of Neil's um, uh, packing rooms, and we're surrounded by honey. But what I love about you, Neil, <clears throat> it, it's it's about honey, but you're also keeping bees. You know, you know, you're selling you know two ton of honey per week, as you mentioned before. That's a lot of honey of you know over a dozen different varieties. But you're also keeping bees, and and you know bees is your passion and your story. You know, start off with bees, and obviously stemmed in the to honey as a business. So I love the way, you know, 
when I call you uh, during spring and summer, you know, if you're not driving doing deliveries, you're out working with the bees. So, so on that subject, you know, what's what's the what do you find hard about working with bees? You know, the best part and the worst part working with bees. You know, in your area, because as as you mentioned, we're 160 kilometres outside of um, outside of Melbourne, and um, yeah, I want to hear about your and any little stories like that, and the good and the bad and the ugly with uh, with bees. Yeah, look, I, I probably enjoy the bees more than packing. Packing becomes mundane and, and repetitive and deliveries. I love the people I deal with in the shops. It's great. You, you build a, a rapport. I actually, I laugh when you go to a shop, when you first start up a shop, they've got all the do's and don'ts, what you've got to do and what you have to do for them. And you say, okay, it's your shop. You tell me what you want me to do for you. I come in every three weeks. You tell me what you want and how we want to do this. And after about 12 months, some some shopkeepers take a bit longer, but most shopkeepers just say, you do whatever you want to do. But dealing with the public is a hard one um, it, with shops. I'm getting a bit sidetracked here. You asked me about bees, but the, the there's two sides to my business, which are the bees and, and the delivery side of it and packing the honey to make it all happen. But the bees are probably is where my passion is. It's hard work. It's a lot harder than actually packing because most of the packing is all done with machinery, and it's, I worked out one day that you actually, every kilo of honey gets moved eight times. And if I put it in a shelf, it's usually nine. If I actually put it in a shelf in a shop, pack it for the shop. But beekeeping is hard work. It's hard physical work. It's, it's heavy. Um, it's usually in the heat, in a, in a suit, uh, on a hot day. Um, I, I don't mind. I, I usually do it, as I'm getting a bit older now, I usually do it in shorter bursts. I, I usually put in half a day. Or I, often, I used to, years ago, I'd probably put in a full day. So I do it over a period of time. I, I get people to help me now as well with the bees because it's such heavy work and hard work, trying to get some young blokes got a good strong back. But, you know, a box of frames, full of frames, honey is, is what, you know, 20 to, 20 to 25 kilos in a, in a box. Um, it, it's, it's just, it's when you, you get the real, the real buzz of the beekeeping is when it happens, when the spring explodes and the bees go off and the queen's laying like crazy and the numbers multiply massively and you just got to be on it to make sure that they're you've got work for them to do in the spring you do the swarm prevention and you put in the hours the downside is moving i move in trailers unfortunately i haven't got the high-tech gear and the big trucks and the lifters and the loaders to do it and you're up sometimes at midnight till night moving bees on a hot hot night and you get home at midnight and you just come home you have a quick tub and you crash and you get up in the morning you go again the next day doing more what you got to do again but moving, it's exciting finding a good site where you know you know the, the stuff's going to happen. You know you've got a good site where you know you're going to get a good honey flow. And when you when you when you come up to bee, you see the bees going off in the air. There's bees everywhere, and you smell the nectar in the air. You just go, "Wow, oh, this is happening. This is good." And that's that's the high of the whole game. And I love me honeycomb. I, I do a lot of honeycomb. I do up to five thousand sections a year, and I freeze them down to have them have honeycomb and supply all year round. And that's, that's the big buzz when you know those two big freezers have got a full. I've actually bought a third freezer now for next year, next season coming. So when you fill all them up, you think I've achieved what I want to achieve for the year and, and you've met your goals, that's all good. And when you leave your, I leave my bees pretty much full of honey coming into the winter, into the autumn, knowing that they've got a good supply of honey and they're going to get through and they've got plenty of tucker. I don't like using sugar, but I do sugar my bees. Um, sugar them in April just before the start of the winter and then... After season finishes coming out, I'll sugar again. And I do feed, I do pollen. I usually use pollen, especially if you're on the iron bark or anything that's not yielding much pollen and the pollen supplies down to keep them breeding. I'll use a bit of pollen. 
And yeah, like the high, the high is definitely the is the honey flow when it happens. And another big buzz I get too, believe it or not, is when you go to somebody's property and you say, "Look, I'm a beekeeper. I'd like to put some bees here." And they say, "Oh yeah, no worries." And I give them honey, and they get a buzz out of that. And they ring you up next year saying, "When are you going to bring the bees back?" Because a um, lot of people just love you having bees in their property, which is pretty unusual. You make sure you haven't got horses and kids, and they've got sort of some sort of acreage, and they're away from the house. But bees aren't usually a problem. If you're on a good honey flow, they're not they're not vicious at all. I requeen most of my beehives every year. Um, and I use golden Italians, which are pretty pacified. And it's a lot easier working with, with, with quiet bees. I remember when we were kids, we used to get absolutely eaten. We didn't have good gear. We didn't know what we were doing. And we just had cranky bees. And it was just, I've had times that I've just shut the entrance and just poured petrol in just to get rid of them because they're that mad. You just can't do it. I used to wear welding gloves. I can remember having the whole back of the welding gloves just covered in stings from just bees going off. No matter how much smoke you used, and I start people up now. I give them a quiet queen. I give them a good hive, and I just think you don't realise how good you've got it. You haven't done the hard yards of an apprenticeship. You haven't swept the floors. You've got everything dropped in your lap, ready to go, and you're going to get honey the first year up, and you're doing really well. And that's another big buzz I get, I suppose, in the industry is just helping people get started. What I do a lot of people when they don't know much at all about bees, I say before you do anything. Come here with me for a day and help me, help me on the hives. It's a bit hard to do it now because I've got too many people <laughs> trying to. Try, I'm lined, I've got queues lined up now trying to do it, and I'll often wake up in the morning and I've got to give them short notice because I, I just don't decide what I do sometimes. When I wake up in the morning, I'll sit up in the morning in bed wait and think what am I going to do today, and I ring them up at the start of the day and say I'm available today if you want to come today and help me and get here at nine o'clock or whatever. And when it warms up a bit, we'll go out. And sometimes it doesn't suit people; they're working or other things happen, but. But watching new people start and they, they ask so many questions and they, they stand back, I say, well, you can't stand back. You've got to get in there and you've got to do this. And you soon find out whether they're serious about beekeeping or not. And I try and make sure they get stung because they can't handle one sting. They're not going to handle three or four when they get thing when they get into it and they get involved themselves. So that's um, part of what happens. So oh, that's that's a that's a that's a big thing to, to actually get people started. So that, that's so true, and it's so interesting, Neil. That's um, in regards to uh, to bees, it's you know beekeepers like the new rock stars. You know what I mean? It's you know we're rock stars you know, as a beekeeper. You know people find out you're, you're keeping bees and like wow, there's this curiosity and like we're all a bunch of celebrities. But but in saying that, so what changes have you seen? Much changes over the years. Going back to when you were young, Tucker, to keeping bees now, uh, you just mentioned touch base on the genetic side of things. But but what other things have you noticed, the changes in, in keeping bees, both maybe on a hobbyist level or a commercial level? Well, even when I work with commercial blokes, they, it's, it's the same principle all the way through. It's the same basic lines that you use. You have uh, good clean boxes. Make sure you've got plenty of honey all the time in your boxes throughout the year. Don't over-rob in the, in the autumn, make sure you leave honey on your bees. Um, but it's the same principle. You've got to go through each hive every time to make sure your queen's laying properly and make sure you've got a good queen in every hive. So the boxes are still the same as when I was a kid. Oh, actually, I found a box the other day that the guy gave me, which is it was, his name was Jim Emilton, and his, his number was J... Uh, sorry, E49 was his number, and I found one of his boxes the other day, and I still had it, and that's 50 years nearly I've had wow. one, one bee box. That's awesome. So I had, unfortunately, I had to back it up because it was it was it had cancer in it. But most bee makes pine boxes that will last you 10 years. I try and put winter my bees in sheds. It's a big one. Um, it just keeps the weather off them, and it keeps the wind off the chill factor off them as well. If you can get a, a north-facing shed, 
always face your bees north and try and point them downhill slightly in the winter months and keep the wind off them, the wind chill factor off them. But basically, the, the changes I've seen um, of all my, I've migrated all my bees. I have closed entrances. I move them closed. Um, the professional blokes move them all open. They smoke them down heavily and they move them open. You've got to be careful if you do migrate your bees, you don't move them on hot hot nights. Try and make sure you've got a cool night to move them because the heat, they can build up heat. They get excited inside and they build up a lot of heat if you've got a strong hive. So, yeah, look, the basic principle is still the same, Ben. They're, they're all the same since Adam was a boy and you just you just more numbers and try and get smarter with how you, how you handle them, how you move them. Um, your knowledge increases over the years. You talk to a lot of people. I find the biggest buzz I probably get is actually talking to beekeepers. I've done two talks now to beekeeping groups. I've done a lot of schools. I do a lot of talks to schools, probus clubs, garden clubs. Um, kids, little kids are great. Prep kids and grade one kids are great. They just sit there with their mouths open the whole time and watch and observe. I've done teenagers and they're just sorry. They're just they're nutters, they're peanuts. They talk to each other. They talk on their phones. You're just thinking, Why am I, what am I doing here? I did a talk once at um, Gippsland TAFE. And the, the the guy I knew, the teacher, he I play snooker with him, and he said, "Oh, they, they want to do a business plan around your business." And I went and talked to him, and they were pretty good that lot. They were pretty good, and there was I could see five bright sparks in that room of about thirty. And sure enough, at the end of it, when I asked when I asked for question time, it was those five that I picked who actually looked at me all the time and watched. And you could pick people as you get older. I suppose you learn to learn to read people better too. Like I learned to read shopkeepers. And you learn different things about different things. Um, the big one, my big one I love is I can walk into a shop and tell where that shop's going or whether they're going backwards. You can tell by the atmosphere in the shop. You can tell by the shelf stackings. You can tell by how the people come and approach you, whether they're excited about their shop or not. And more often than not, I can walk into a shop now as confident as I am and have a look around. And someone says, "Can I help you?" And I just say, "I'm look at you. I'm just checking to see if your shop's suitable for my product." And you, and you read, you can learn to read people. And I've had shopkeepers that, I had one once, this is a little story I often tell, that the woman said, look, she said, uh, we're busy at the moment, you, we can't drop your product now, you'll have to make an appointment. And I went, whoa. I looked at her and I said, well, what's the best day to make an appointment? She said, oh, probably Tuesday morning. And I said, okay, Tuesday morning, you think, all right. Then I just ground my teeth and walked out of the shop and I said, how dare you? I come to your shop, deliver your product, put it on your shelf. All you've got to do is write me out a check and I'm out of here and you want me to make an appointment. So anyway, I, I just let that go. I was never going to return to that shop. I just thought that's just too much for me. I couldn't handle that. Anyway, he rang up about a week later and he said, look, he said, we need some honey. I said, look, you'll have to come here. Oh, hang on, you'll have to make an appointment to come here and pick it up because I'm going past your shop tomorrow and I just, I'm just too busy to drop it off. And he just, the phone went silent and I just said, okay, catch up, see you, bye, and hung the phone up. Two days later, he rings up again. He says, oh, look, bring honey here anytime you want. And I said, okay, that's prime. We can work with this. So everyone's different um, and you just got to learn how to, how to handle people and you can't let people walk on you and, and just do different things to you in any business, no doubt. It's just different natured people and different things. But you have some funny experiences. Um, like I remember I went, to the, I went to the Melbourne show for 10 days every day, all day, and he had to be, I think he had to be in by 8 o'clock and, and in the morning, I had, to, I, I, had to catch a, I had to come home three times to load up my car, that's so I had a car, I sent two pellets down to the Melbourne show, 
I felt really bad because the VAA was down there and the, had a site and the president came up to me and said, oh, look, next year, he said, you can come here and run our site if you like. I said, no. I said, after this year, I won't be running sites anymore. I actually had a Chinese woman, woman come up to the front of the store because there's thousands of people going for the Melbourne show. And I had 12 different flavours, which is a mistake. I had 12 different flavours of honey and she tried all of them. And she went back and she tried them all again. I'm thinking, oh, well, this is just wearing me down. And she said, well, you do a special price for 20 And I said, oh, wow, you just can't pick people in life how things work. So never judge anybody by their, by their book, by the cover, as they say, because you just don't know who's going to do what. Um, I sell a lot of 15-kilo pe- kilo buckets to different individual people because it's a lot cheaper to buy in 15-kilo buckets. And I sell a few from home, but I basically wholesale everything. I try and avoid people coming if I can because it just it tastes very time-consuming and you've got to be here and they usually talk for half an hour and it takes a bit out of your day. So, But I do – I wholesale a lot of honey and um, I have a lot of big shops that take a lot of stuff and I just find one big shop's worth 10 little shops. But it's also little shops that start got you started. That's where you start off from. So you always look after little shops as well. So, But never underestimate your business. If you're going to do honey for a business, never underestimate it because it's only as big as you think it's going to be and what you want to make it. It's not easy. It's hard work. But it's always there. I see a lot of people start off, they put their honey in the shops and they give up. But you've got to hang in there. It's a very competitive industry and everyone's trying to beat everybody up with price and with shelf space and what have you. So the main thing is if you're really determined to make anything happen in life, you've got to have a long-term plan and aim for it and hang in there and, and go for it. So I'll never get in my early 20s. I went to a motivational speaker in Melbourne and his name was Earl Nightingale. He had 200 talkback radio shows in America. He was huge. And he was brought up in a depression in the 30s. And he said to his mum one, one day, why do we live in a tent and all these people have got houses and, and cars? And his mum said, I don't know, son. And this, he was a single, single, he had a single mother and just a, just a boy. And he went to the library for 12 years every day. He read all the philosophies and he studied everything about what he could about religions and philosophers and why and how and one day it hit him it nearly knocked him off his chair he, he realized that the words were and i'll never forget these words to my dying day the words are whatever you think you want to be is what you become and i've never forgotten those words i always said to myself i'm going to be a big beekeeper and i'm going to sell a lot of honey and I'm, I'm going to produce my own solar power, my own energy for my business. And I'm just about there now. And it's taken me 50 years to do that. It's been a lifetime dream and I'm, I'm fulfilling my goals. Yes, yeah. I, I absolutely love that, Neil. What I love about you, Neil, you know, someone in their 60s, you know, most, a lot of 60-year-olds are starting to, you know, wind it down in, their, in life and go in retirement. Fair income, I've never known a bloke to work so hard. You know, there's some young tackers that wouldn't be able to keep up with the stamina that you've got. So I just love that. Yeah, as as you've mentioned before, early on in the podcast, you know, you work seven days a week. Neil, everyone, Neil does work seven days a week, and he's just so passionate because it's obviously about the honey, but he's passionate about people. And what I love about that is, you know, you're about the the people. You mentioned about the shops. You know, if they 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 give you the trust to put the honey in, you know, you'll go there and and you'll check their shelves and you'll talk to them. And and I love that. So that's really really important um, for everyone listening. You know, really put in those those hard yards because you know you've done it and you're still doing it. So kudos to you. So um so just on on closing, you know, you've been doing it for a while. Is there anything that you would change if you go back in time? <coughs> Go back in time and the older Neil could tell the younger Neil, what would be that one thing you'd say, you know what, we could change this? 
Yeah, I just would have had a million dollars when I first started. It's 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 a constant financial battle to to keep in front of everything. Um, as your business gets bigger, your expenses get bigger. Sure, your income increases proportionally, but just to 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 build structures and um, expansion, like I've got up to 40 pelicons in front of me at any one time in storage and it's a lot of money outlay that sits there waiting to be waiting to happen i talked to a bloke yesterday who delivers honey to me big beekeeper and he said 95 percent of business in australia are undercapitalized and what we're finding now is is big overseas companies coming to australia with a lot of money and they buy out australian businesses and they buy out australian farms and they leave Australian potential high and dry because we're not capitalised enough in this country to make businesses happy happen. And it's just an awkward situation where where it's hard to say to farmers, don't sell your farm to overseas investors because it's you're selling the farm, you, you're giving up your, your, your child's life livelihood, you're giving up the country's livelihood to an overseas investor who take their profits out of the country and we're going to starve ourselves one day in this country if we keep doing what we're doing. We've got to clamp down. This is my belief that we've got to clamp down on Australian overseas investment in the country. And we've got to do more ourselves. We've got to get young kids have got to get off their butts and have a go. There's so many opportunities in this country with such a great land, with such resources that we can utilise and value add to things that we do here. We should be doing a lot more of it. And we're actually we're cutting our, slowly cutting our own throats and we're starving ourselves out. And it's just sad to see it happen. I'm a great believer in, in in people shouldn't be paid for doing nothing. They should be paid to do something. And everyone you help and everything you do for this country is helps the benefit of everybody. That's just my belief. Sorry, I'll get a bit sidetracked, but that's just what I feel. Yeah. No, that's that's fantastic, and uh, and uh, really appreciate your time, Neil. As you said, uh, you know, absolutely. You know, it's, you're flat out busy, so thank you so much for everyone. And and anyone sort of chasing sort of Neil's honey, Neil would be the only Neil Stucky from Sticky Stucky's Honey. It'd be the only man that I know, or the only business I know that doesn't have a website. So, but if you like, it, that's how well he's doing because he you know trusts he's with the uh, with the customers and and wholesales it. So so if you're looking for Neil's honey, just a couple of places I uh, I know is probably the one in South Melbourne markets. If you're in town, um, they've got all of the full ranges and. Uh, and um, yeah, I think where else? If someone's chasing your honey, where else could we go? Rattle oh, off a few for us. Bacchus Marsh, <laughs> um, right through Gippsland. There's pretty much not not many shops in Gippsland. I haven't got uh, up in the high country. I don't go into the high country, but all the way down the line, um, the Spud Shed's a big one. Uh, the Orchard in um, Bunyip. Uh, if you're looking for it, you'll find it. It's amazing how if you want something bad enough in life, you'll find it. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks, Neil. And and thanks, everyone, for listening. I really appreciate everyone uh, jumping in on this podcast and sending me messages. I've had phone calls. So it's really appreciate everyone's time for uh, for, for doing this So um, and listening because, you know, it's about you – know, it's bees with Ben, but I, what it's about for me is the connection between bees and people, and, and that's really important. So, um, so thanks again. I really appreciate your time, everyone.